So good evening and welcome to Wednesday night Parashat HaShavua where we look at the parasha in, through the lens of Hasidut using the wonderful works of Rav Eliezer Bitterman Shlita. Today we are studying Parashat Hayesara and he begins in uh, discussing the concept of toiling in Avodat Hashem working hard in the service of God. In last week's parasha Avimelech, his shepherds claimed Abraham's well, that it was really theirs. They said they were the ones that dug the well. And they agreed to put it to the test. And Abraham and Avimelech would each go to the well. And to whomever the well water would rise, it would be a sign that it belongs to him. And according to Rashi in last week's parasha, the water rose for Abraham Avinu. It's one of the miracles that happened to Abraham. Also in the desert, we know, based on the Midrash, Miriam's well, that also rose up for them. In this week's parasha, we see something similar. The water rose up for Rivka when she arrived at the well. It was to help her. Why? So she shouldn't need to drop the wa- the water from the depths of the well. The Pasuk says, Vayarotza Eved. Rashi explains that Eliezer ran to Rivka because Likrata, he saw the water come up to greet her. And this proved that she was fitting to marry into Abraham's family because miracles were happening to her just like they happened to Abraham. Truth is, the Midrash writes that all women have to go down and fill up the water from the well. But for Rivka, as soon as the water saw her, the water rose up to her. Akados Baruch Hu said, you are a sign for your children. Just as for you, that as soon as the water saw you, it, come, it came up, so too for your children, when the well will see the Jewish nation, it will immediately go up for them. And that's what happened later on in the desert. The Ramban on this episode writes that this miracle, that the water rose up for Rivka, only happened the first time Eliezer saw Rivka. Only when she first filled up the jug. All the other times, the water didn't rise up for Rivka. Rivka had to actually draw the water from the depths of the well in order to give his camels to drink. The Ramban writes, why didn't the miracle occur all the other times? If you're so great that the water is going to rise up, why not continue to happen? Why only the one time? So the Kedushat Levi explains, the first time she was drawing the water was for herself. So therefore... The water came up to her, so she shouldn't have to work hard. But all the subsequent times after that, she drew water to do chesed, to do kindness, to feed Eliezer and the camels. And those times, the water didn't rise up for her. Why? Because a mitzvah has more value when it's done with an action, with a maaseh. Hashem wanted Rivka to draw the water because a mitzvah that requires a deed is more precious. Even if the water had come up by itself, Rivka would have needed to do the action necessary of collecting the water in her jug to bring the water to Eliezer's camels. The more action that's involved in your mitzvah, the greater the mitzvah. So therefore, her, the mitzvah, the value of the mitzvah increased. That's what the Chachamim tell us in Perkei Avot. Lefum tzara agra. In accordance with the toil, Involved, 
the effort, that is the reward you're going to get. When Rivka was performing a mitzvah, drawing the water became hard for her to increase her reward. And that's why the reward was so great. Some people find Avodat Hashem easy. It's easy. Some people, it's easy to serve God. But they aren't serving God by road. They aren't striving to reach higher levels. When someone accepts the Ol Machut Shamayim, the yoke of heaven, upon himself, he's going to endure many challenges. He's going to endure many struggles. That could be praying with Kavanah. It could be learning Torah properly, having good Midot. There's a lot of struggles in Avodat Hashem. Avodat Hashem needs to be challenging. And these struggles increase our reward and add value to our Avodat Hashem. There's a story brought down here of a certain student who told his Rebbe, Rebbe, I have a problem. I came to Yeshiva and I feel out of place. The students are different from me. Most of the students are, are older than me. I feel alone. And this, uh, this thought, it occupies my mind. I feel I can't focus on my studies. I'm always thinking how out of place I am. Give me a bracha that I could learn Torah without many ot, without obstacles. I want to learn without anything preventing me, anything bothering me. So the Rebbe listened to the student and said, you know, I'm a little bit shocked with your request because it's impossible to serve Hashem without challenges. And he started pointing to the, uh, the lectern, the stender, and the chair in the corner of the room. He goes, you see that chair and the table over there? He goes, yeah. See, nothing bothers that chair. Nothing bothers the lectern. You know why? They don't have many out. They have nothing acting as an obstacle to prevent it from doing its purpose. It just does its purpose. A chair is for people to sit on. A human being has obstacles. Overcoming the obstacles is what makes the Avodat Hashem so great. The Torah tells us, and we recite every day in Shema Yisrael, Velo taturu Don't follow your heart and your eyes that you stray after them. The Torah doesn't say, The Torah doesn't say, if you stray after your heart, if you stray after your eyes. It doesn't say that. It says, which means that you are going to stray after your heart and your eyes. There is a, there is a concept here of a Yetzirah dragging you. It's not easy. The obligation isn't that we shouldn't have temptations and challenges. We just have to overcome them. So therefore, the rabbi told the student, I cannot give you a bracha that you should not have any struggles, but I can give you a bracha that you should have 98% success in your studies and the challenges should just be a minimal 2%. Interesting. That was a beautiful story. Once they say there was a, another story of um, a certain Bet Knesset that took upon themselves not to speak during tefillah. Uh, the reason was because one of the members of the shul became sick and all of the participants in the Bet Knesset, they made a Kabbalah, they made an acceptance, we're not going to talk during Tefillah for 40 days and no matter where you were you're praying, they weren't going to talk and they hoped and prayed that in this merit this friend of theirs was going to have a refuah shalema. One morning during Shachrit, someone started talking to this, uh, one of the guys that made this commitment, this Kabbalah and the man, he didn't respond. He was still in the middle of the 40 days. He didn't want to break his Kabbalah. So the, the man who was talking to him was mocking him, scorning him. He goes, ah, oh, you're, you're one of those guys that took upon this, this, uh, this nonsense. 
And the guy was very embarrassing for him, you know, but he didn't respond. He remained silent. Truth is, the silent the silence paid off, and this this young guy who was sick, he became better. But the story continues. During these 40 days, the wife of this man, the man who was humiliated for being quiet, was diagnosed with cancer. And they asked her to come to the hospital for more testing. And she underwent an MRI, and it was confirmed that she had a, a tumor. And following the rabbi's advice, they went to another doctor for a second opinion, but the doctor also reached the same conclusion that the tumor was at, a, at an advanced stage and she required immediate surgery. The husband was in the hospital waiting for the operation to be completed, but it was taking longer than expected. The doctor said it was going to take an hour and a half, but now two hours have passed. She was still in the operating room. The husband went to the uh, family waiting room, the visitor's room, and he prayed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and he said, You know how hard it was for me to be silent, not to speak in shul for 40 days. Now I take upon myself not to speak in shul for a half a year. In this merit, let my wife have a refuah shalema. Shortly after two hours and 15 minutes, the doctor came out and said to the husband, we don't know what happened. We were certain there was a tumor. But when we operated, we didn't find it. The operation took much longer because we were looking for the tumor that we saw in the tests in the MRI results, but it's not there. And I don't understand how it happened. Our rabbis tell us in the Gemara, en adam nitpas When a person is going through hard times, he isn't held responsible for his bad deeds. After the Shoah, after the Holocaust, unfortunately, there were many, many Jews who dropped their Judaism. We don't judge them because we can't imagine what they went through. And En Adam teaches me that you're not even held guilty for the Averot you performed during extreme distress. There's a story of a Jew who was very religious before the war, but dropped everything after the war. And again, once again, we don't judge him. It's impossible to judge individuals that suffered through the the days of the Shoah. After the war, he moved to a small village in the United States. He and his family probably were the only Jews living there. They didn't know religion wasn't something that um, that they discussed. His third generation American wife, very distant from Judaism, but she was a Jew. And their only son was being raised like that as well. When people inquired about their faith, they just said they were American. They never said they were Jewish. But when the son turned 13 years old, the father told the son, you should know that the 13th birthday for a Jewish boy is very important. I'll tell you what, we're going to travel to the city and you can choose any present you want. He didn't even mention the word bar mitzvah, but he said we can choose any present you want. They were well-to-do, prosperous, money wasn't an issue, and the father was prepared to buy anything for his son. And they went store after store, but the boy didn't find anything. Finally, they passed a Judaica store. And the boy was enthusiastic, because I want to go in. And the father said, there's nothing in there. There's nothing in there besides antiques. You're not going to appreciate anything. It's religious items that you don't need. No need to walk in. The father was worried that 
his son might be showing interest in Judaism, something he was trying to escape from all these years. But the boy insisted, I want to go in. So the father obliged. The boy walked around the store, eyes open wide, looking around at all the objects. It was like he, he, he couldn't see enough. And then he saw a Chanukiah made from clay, a menorah. It was old, but it was intricate artwork. It was evident that the creator of that Chanukiah put a lot of work into it. And the boy points to it and says, Dad, that's what I want. That's a present. The father said, I'm going to buy you anything you want, but not that. The boy said, listen, we went to many stores. I didn't ask for anything. This is what I want. So the father asked the store owner about the menorah. And the owner said, listen, this menorah is very, very precious. It was found in a concentration camp shortly after the war. And obviously, you know, in the camps, there were not Chanukiyot. There were no menorahs. And the inmate created this menorah concealed from the eyes of the Nazi guards so that he could light the Hanukkah candles. Now when the boy heard the story about this specific menorah, he wanted it more. The father and the store owner agreed on a very high price and the boy left the store very, very proud of, his, of the present. The son spent many hours looking at the menorah. He tried to imagine the conditions under which it was built. He also wondered, who was the craftsman? Is he still alive? What's his life like now? What was his life back then? At first, you know, the son's interest frightened the parents. Eventually they figured, okay, this was a phase maybe he was going through. He's going to drop all this uh, attraction to Judaism. But when Hanukkah approached, the boy took out the menorah and he wanted to light it. But the menorah slipped out of his hands and fell and broke into many parts. And the boy was devastated. And the father said, don't worry about it. We're going to try to put it back together. So they worked together to put back the menorah. And a piece of paper fell out of one of the hollow branches of the menorah. And the father fainted. When he was, when he came to, he explained, this paper is written in Yiddish. And it tells the story of a person who built the menorah. And I'll read it to you. I have to work 14 hours each day. At night I abstain from sleep so I can build this menorah that says on it, Ze Eli Ve'anvehu. This is my God and I will beautify it. In a few months it will be Hanukkah and I will light this menorah. If chas v'shalom I don't live until then because no one knows what tomorrow will bring. I request that whoever finds this menorah should light the candles on Hanukkah. And thereby, my neshama will also have an aliyah. The letter is signed, and the father read the signature. It was his own name. He had made the menorah years before during the Shoah, and with Hashkacha Pratit, it came back home. The father never did Teshuvah, but the story touched his son's heart, and eventually he did Teshuvah Shalemah. today, he has a family, all of them following Torah and Mitzvot. In the camps, the father built a menorah with Mesirut Nefesh. So when a person serves God with Mesirut Nefesh, blessings come from it. That's again what Rivka was trying. Why the water didn't come up? I want you to do it because that's a mitzvah. It's toiling in your Avodat Hashem. More ideas of Rivka's greatness in this story.
Eliezer conducted a test to determine who is going to be the most fitting wife for Yitzchak. He asked for a sip of water. And he says, if the girl replies, drink and I'm also going to give your camels, then that's, this is the perfect girl for Yitzchak. Things didn't go exactly as planned. He asked Rivka for water and she gave it to him. But she didn't mention anything about the camels. Then the Pasuk says, when she finished giving water to Eliezer, I will also draw your camels until they finish drinking. She didn't mention the camels until Eliezer finished drinking. Why? So the Orachim explains that Rivka acted with even greater chasidut, with even greater piety than Eliezer was expecting. Rivka didn't tell Eliezer immediately that she will give water to his camels because she figured that if she told Eliezer right from the beginning that she was going to draw water from the camels, he's going to gulp down his water and he might drink less than he actually needs to to quench his thirst because he knows that Rivka still has a lot of work to do to give all the water to the camels. Camels drink a lot of water. So therefore, Rivka didn't tell Eliezer her plan so that Eliezer would drink fully exactly what he needs. After he finished drinking, she said, I will now draw for your camels. When you study the parasha well, you, you see some amazing aspects of Rivka's generosity and her willingness to do chesed and wonderful things. After Eliezer finished drinking, the Torah tells us that she quickly poured out the jug and she ran to the well. The Shlach Kadosh writes that after Rivka gave the water to Eliezer, some of the water remained in the jug, at the bottom of the jug. Now Rivka didn't know what to do with it. If she pours this water for the camels, it'll appear like she compares camels to humans. She gives them both a drink from the same jug. That's not good. On the other hand, to pour the water on the ground is disrespectful. It might imply that since Eliezer drank from the water, maybe the water isn't good anymore. So that's embarrassing and insulting. So what did Rivka do? She acted with wisdom. She ran and rushed and ma- to make it appear that she accidentally dropped the jug, being that she was running, and the water spilled. And that this way, Elie- Eliezer's honor was maintained. Speaking of Eliezer, he was also a wonderful, amazing human being. At the beginning of the story, Eliezer is referred to as Eved Abraham, a slave. Vaikacha Eved, Vayarotza Eved. And afterwards, he's referred to as Ish, Ve'ha'ish Mishta'ela. How did it, for a man, how did he change from a slave to a man? The answer could be one, that the change happened when Rivka called Eliezer Adoni, my master. Shte Adoni, drink my master. Eliezer was a slave. He wasn't accustomed to hearing people address him with so much honor. Yet, Rivka spoke to him with respect, and that lifted his self-esteem. And all of a sudden, he felt like an ish. He felt like a man. And because he felt like a man, the Torah calls him that as well. Rashi tells us, The conversations of the slaves of the Avot are more beautiful than the Torah of the Avot's children. Because the parashah of Eliezer and Rivka in this week's Torah portion is written twice in the Torah. Many sections of the Torah itself was given solely in hints. We speak about Lashon Ara. Lashon Ara, there's a, a pasuk here, a pasuk there. You, we speak about Shabbat. Yeah, there are a lot of times the Torah mentions Shabbat. But this whole story of Eliezer and Rivka 
is like two and a half columns. So we can learn many lessons from the good conduct of Eliezer's wave. He was Abraham's servant and was influenced by Abraham's pure, pure ways. When Eliezer came to Betuel's house to finally meet Rivka's parents, they brought out food for Eliezer to eat. Eliezer said, I'm not going to speak. I won't eat until I speak with you. The Torah uses the word Adim dibarti devarai. Daber is speaking harshly. In contrast to Omer, which is speaking softly. And the rabbis explain that Eliezer was about to speak harshly to Betuel because they put poison in his food. The Kedushat Levi writes, Why didn't Eliezer want to eat before he spoke with them? Because Eliezer suspected that these Reshaim were going to put poison in his food, and they indeed did. So therefore he said, I won't eat until I speak. His intention was that after he speaks, after he, he speaks out these holy words, the holy words itself are going to protect him from danger. And that's what happened. An angel came, switched the dishes, and Betuel was the one who ate from the poison, and he was the one who ended up dying. He was about to tell them what? He was about to tell them, this is how you treat guests who come to your home? You poison their food? This is something that's normal? Next pasuk, Vayomer Eved Avraham Anochi. The verb used is Vayomer, softly. He didn't speak dibur. He didn't speak harshly like he planned to, but rather was soft and kind words. He changed his mind. He spoke in gentle, uh, kinder tone. Because Eved Avraham Anochi. You know why? Because I'm Abraham's slave. I was taught to follow the ways of the Torah. I was taught to follow Hashem's ways, and Hashem acts with humility. Wherever there's Hashem's greatness, that's where you will find humility. And that's why I'm not going to rebuke them. I will speak to them kindly. Rivka performed many miracles. The Torah tells us, Rashi explains that when the Torah tells us that Yitzchak took Rivka into the tent of Sarah, Rashi says, Behold, she was like Sarah, his mother. As long as Sarah lived, the candles burned from Erev Shabbat until Erev Shabbat. There was a blessing in the dough. The cloud was tied onto the tent. And when she died, all these miracles stopped. But when Rivka came, they returned. The well rose toward her, like we said at the beginning of the class. Not only that, Rivka had a blessing in everything she did. Rivka gave a drop of water to the camels and Eliezer. And that drop, believe it or not, was enough for them to drink. After she gave the slave to drink, the jug was still full. With one drawing of water, believe it or not, she was able to feed both Eliezer and, um, and the camels. There is a, another idea here that I want to share with you tonight which is, this is also the parasha of Shiduchim, the parasha of matchmaking. Because, like we said, Eliezer is the, uh, the one who is finding a, a wife for Abraham's son Yitzchak. And this was really the first kind of Shiduch, the first matchmaking we see in, in our Torah. The Gemara writes that we can prove from the Torah and the Navi 
and the Ketuvim that Hashem is the one that arranges the Shiduchim. In this week's Perasha, the Torah tells us, Me Hashem Yatsadavar. That the matter came forth from God. That's what Rivka says. That the matter comes from God. In the Navi it says, Ve'avi ve'imo lo yedaoki me'ashem hi. Shimshon, regarding Shimshon, one of the judges. Shimshon's father and mother didn't know that the woman he married was predestined by Hashem. Lo yedaoki me'ashem hi. They didn't know. In Ketuvim it writes, Me'ashem isha maskelet. A wise woman to her husband is from Hashem. Our brothers, the Ashkenazim, they call an engagement party a vort. What is a vort? A vort means in Yiddish a word. That's what it means. To remind us, Shehakol nie bidvaro, that everything happened by bidvaro, with his davar, with his word, with Hashem's word. The Shiduch didn't happen because. The matchmaker, the Shadchan, thought about the Chidush, about the Shiduch. It didn't happen because the father of the girl has money. It didn't happen because the boy is the son of a big rabbi or he himself is a Tamil Chacham. The Shiduch happened because this was Hashem's plan. At Sheva Brachot we say, Sameach Tisamach Re'im Ha'uvim. Bring joy to the loving friends as you brought joy to your creations in Gan Eden, Adam and Chava. What was unique about the happiness in Gan Eden? Our rabbis t- tell us sometimes after a shiduch closes, people eat themselves up with regret. They feel, you know, maybe I could have chose someone else. Sometimes they regret not choosing someone else. Maybe I could have chose someone with a better yichus, a better lineage. Someone with uh, a bit more money. Someone who is more scholarly. Someone who is more well-to-do. Adam and Chava didn't have these concerns. They didn't think to themselves... Uh, maybe we should have married someone else. Maybe Adam, uh, maybe I could have grabbed another girl. Chava says, ah, I'm sure there are tons of other guys. No, because there was nobody else to marry. It was just Adam and Chava. They didn't regret not choosing someone with a better yichus because they both shared the same yichus. They both came from the same lineage. They were both created from Hashem. Therefore, their joy was complete. And therefore, we blessed the Chatan and Kala at their wedding, and the Sheva Brachot, that their happiness should be as complete and as joyous with the belief that their marriage is what Hashem chose for them. I want to end the class with an unbelievable story. The Vilna Gaon, Zechutoy again Alenu, was once a guest in someone's home. And while he was leaving the, the house that he was at, the, he noticed something. And he said to the host, I noticed that every morning you prepare a coffee for your wife, even before you make your own coffee. So I was wondering, why do you do this? Is it because the rabbis say, 
that one should honor your his wife more than he honors himself? This was the question that he asked. This is what the Vilna Gaon asked his host. Is this the reason why you prepare your wife's coffee before you? So the host said, the answer to your question is the story of my life. He said, when I was 13 years old, I was already a very, very wise student in Torah. I was a Tamid Chacham. And there was a wealthy person who recognized my potential and chose me to be his future son-in-law. Back then, marriages were pre-arranged, even at a quite young age. Uh, and therefore, at 13, there was a wealthy guy who saw this 13-year-old boy and says, you're going to marry my daughter. And the wedding was scheduled for seven years later when I would be 20. In the meanwhile, this my future father-in-law, hired private tutors and teachers so that I could grow more and more in Torah. And when I turned 20 years old, I was a recognized Tamid Chacham, but my to-be father-in-law lost all of his money by then, seven years later. I would have gone ahead with the wedding regardless because I had Hakarat Atov. I was grateful to him for hiring the Torah teachers for me all those years. But my father refused to let me go ahead with the Shiduch. He said it was a disgrace that I, an accomplished scholar, should marry a poor man's daughter. So, I married a girl from a wealthy family. And soon after we married, I discovered that I have a health problem which I didn't really know beforehand. And my father-in-law invested a lot of money to cure me. Doctors, surgeons, everybody was looking at, at my condition. Now doctors earned a nice living as they pretended to heal me of my sickness until one doctor finally admitted to my father-in-law that nothing known to medicine could cure me. So my father-in-law came up to me one day and says, I would like you to divorce my daughter because we can't cure you. And I agreed. I obliged. So he continues to tell the Vilna Gaon, first a broken shiduch and then a divorce. I felt my life was in shambles. I became depressed and went to go live in a uh, hostel a room and board for the homeless people. And someone who knew me was shocked to see me there. He told me, what are you doing here? You have so much potential. How did you end up here? So I told him what happened. Sometime later, that same man came back to me and said, listen, I think I have a girl for you. The girl actually has the same defect that you have. Your sickness, she has it. Okay, we met, and I married her. After the wedding, she said to me, you know, I want you to know something. You were born with your illness, but I was born healthy. I developed my health problems later in life. And she explained that she was once engaged to marry a Torah scholar, but since her father lost all of his money, the shiduch was called off. 
and she became depressed and sick. And I asked her some questions and discovered that I was the first Hatan. I was the first groom. She became sick on my account. So, Kvod Arav, Vilna Gaon, doesn't she deserve that I should honor her with a cup of coffee each morning? And the Vilna Gaon said, if I came here only to hear this story, it would have been worthwhile. The Vilna Gaon was so impressed with the story because it's a demonstration that when a shiduch is meant to happen, it will happen and nothing else will stand in the way. Wishing everyone a wonderful night.